0: of individuals struggle to really understand what their body's saying because there's so many confusing signals, whether we've been dieting or eating based on a rule book or like the opposite of just eating whatever.
1: Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Dr. Lauren Lax, who has an absolutely incredible story. Today, we're going to unravel the gut-brain-hormone connection and discuss mold and mast cell activation syndrome. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today, I have on the show Dr. Lauren Lax. She helps women work with their bodies, not against them so that they can reach their highest potential. And as a doctor of occupational therapy, functional medicine practitioner, and a nutritionist, she specializes in gut health optimization, restoring immune and hormone imbalances, and a non-diet approach to body love and food freedom. Her work is inspired by her 20 years of personal and clinical experience overcoming over 10 chronic conditions that almost killed her and that doctors could not solve, including gut disorders, eating disorders, autoimmune conditions, mold illness, Lyme disease, hormone, and thyroid imbalances. And today she's made it her life's mission to help others do the same. Dr. Lauren's personal story has been featured on ABC, Good Morning America, CBS, USA Today, and Women's Health. And she's the author of eight books. She lives in Austin, where she operates her virtual functional medicine clinic. Welcome, Dr. Lax. Thank
0: you so much, Dr. Stephanie, for having me on. So excited to be here.
1: Well, today i want to dive more into the understanding of how a physiological and mental stress can impact our gut and our hormones and you have quite the journey which i know a little bit about but our viewers may not so you nearly died at age 23 from anorexia and you had 10 chronic illnesses in your post-recovery years including hormone imbalances as well thyroid disorders and autoimmune conditions so you've battled mold and Lyme, basically everything at this yeah. point. So bring us up to speed. Can you tell us symptoms that you were experiencing and what you've been through? Of course, the short version, but give us an idea of everything you've been through. Yeah,
0: well, experience I'm <laughs> the best teacher and a big reason why I'm doing what I do today is because my body has been my own living textbook. Um, I was on the path to going to medical school when um, I actually woke up in the middle of the night with a feeling like I was having a heart attack the day before the MCAT. And that was actually when I discovered I had mold illness, which it was a very Mm. severe asthma attack. I don't have asthma, never had had that. And that's been in the most recent past history, the past two, three years that that actually occurred and was just like a big tipping point. But yes, prior to that occurring and just like life path continuing to say, like, let experience be your teacher and your guide, I had begun struggling from a very early age with eating disorders, anorexia in particular, it started at about age nine. And really just as an innocent diet, wanting to fit in with the other little girls, wanting Eric Arthur to like me, wanting the other little girls to be me, and just to be pretty thin and popular. And remember standing on the playground one day and the topic of weight coming up with the popular queen bee, and she's saying, oh my gosh, you guys, I weighed myself last night and I'm 69 pounds. I'm so fat. And um, then looking to us, well, what do you guys weigh? Because of course we just like said, no, 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 you're not fat. So one by one, we had to go around that circle and say what we weighed. And I was a very healthy 10 year old kid, about 80 pounds um, at the time. And I just remember gulping and lying and saying, I don't know, and going home that day and standing in the pantry and turning over a Doritos snack pack and learning a new language that I never had known before, which was fat grams and calories at age 10, my life path took a very sharp turn. And just really my preteen years, teen years, college years were really defined by this gripping eating disorder that took hold of my body and my mind and spent an accumulated four years of my life in treatment centers and hospitals on feeding tubes and heart rate monitors, IV fluids, and just like really did every single diet under the sun. I feel like I can definitely relate to Uh, all of my clients, maybe some of your listeners that have tried and yo-yo dieting. And I'm not even in the pursuit of being like thin at the end of my eating disorder. It was really more about like a sense of achievement and control and um, just really even perfection with my food and kind of running into those holes that I think a lot of those in chronic illness run into as well, which is like, oh my gosh, (laughs) sweet potatoes give me bloating and spinach has too many oxalates and gives me IBS or whatever, like little food fears we can develop even in our pursuit of health. And so that was just really what I struggled with. And then at age 23, I remember stepping on the scale one morning, I was living in Nashville and I stepped on the scale every morning at like nearly 5am. And, but seeing a number I had not seen uh, since I was that 10 year old girl. And just for the first time being really scared and just remember thinking like, Whoa, this is my life. And this is like over my head Because at the time was not trying to lose weight anymore, but it was just like something else was controlling me. And remember getting in my car, going to the YMCA and praying out loud, God help me make a change today. And a change meant maybe 30 minutes less on my Stairmaster or being able to eat one more tablespoon of almond butter. Um, And instead I got out of my car at the gym, gathering my fitness magazines that I kept in my trunk to read on my Stairmaster. And um, not one, but eight other individuals walked up and said, good morning, Lauren. And these were eight other gym goers I had seen all that past year. And they were about my parents age. Um, Just that's who goes to the gym at that time in the morning. And they really just spoke up their hearts. So we don't know what's going on, but we're worried about you is what they said. They had no idea of my past history. Another one said, we want to help. And they had actually called Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville and just said, we're going to bring her in. And again, no like bullet wound had happened, no like really emergent thing had happened, but they were worried and something in their hearts really had been stirred. And to this day, I call them my eight YMCA angels because in the CCU, a cardiac care unit with a heart rate nearly in the 20s and doctors saying that they may need to put a pacemaker in. And it was, again, the first time in my life that I realized it wasn't my parents telling me to get healthier or doctors saying I needed to change. I had one of two choices to live or to die, and so I made it my my goal and my manifestation that I would survive that. And I had no idea what life would look like on the other side, nor this path that I am on today. I was actually pursuing becoming the next Katie Couric at the time. Today's show, news journalism, and all that. And spent four weeks in the hospital on heart rate monitors and feeding tubes, and then another year actually in treatment in Miami. Um, and it was treatment. Typical treatment for eating disorders is Pop-Tarts, pizza, and Prozac. It's very symptom based. Like we may see just in any conventional model that is symptom based. It's like if the girl's not going to eat, we'll just give her the Pop-Tart, and like that's the answer to helping her gain weight. It seems like logical, right? Um, and that was the typical treatment of my past. Typical treatment kind of going to go into that, but something in me had changed, and something in me had also really become inspired to find a different way to heal. I so believe and share this with my patients when given the right tools, your body innately wants to heal itself and it wants to work with you, not against you. And so for so long, I had been working against my body and not really trusting my body. And so through that, and just through my belief that there could be something different than the typical treatment model and running back to the eating disorder, when I got out of treatment, began to to forge a new path. And from that, I kind of stumbled into functional medicine, which a lot of folks that um, forge a new path in health oftentimes do. And functional medicine being about the root cause of illness, getting to the root cause versus band-aiding symptoms. In the aftermath of my eating disorder, I experienced what I call post-recovery recovery. recovery. What happens to your body after years of chronic dieting, after years of just self-neglect or just not self-care. And you don't have to have eating disorder to have like stressors really catch up to you and your, your later life. And I, a lot of times we'll have my clients put together. I call it a stress scavenger hunt or a health story timeline to really figure out what are the things that led you to where you are today? Cause ill health typically does not happen overnight. And so for me, what that resulted in was being diagnosed with <laughs> several hormone issues, just imbalances in general, thyroid conditions not getting my period, several autoimmune diseases from colitis to celiac, type 1 diabetes, and really a mast cell activation syndrome presentation even, which was the tipping point within mold. My immune system went haywire. So I was being diagnosed with some different condition I never had, be it allergies, asthma, migraines, or again, more autoimmunity every six to eight weeks over the course of a year. And so a lot of the doctors had no idea what was going on conventionally. And it was really through experience that I began to understand what was going on. And just in my post-recovery years now, I'm just on the back end of healing from mold. That would be like, I think the iceberg or like the tip of the iceberg, rather, um, mold and lime and just kind of discovering that. And that's something that I do find a lot of individuals that have had some sort of trauma in their earlier life, the cards become stacked against you in that way from an immune perspective. Of why maybe certain people are more sensitive to those things like mold or lime. But I've learned so much and really would not change any of it today because I really feel like I can get into my patients' shoes and see them and hear them and know because I've walked it. And similarly, we all have our own stories as well. But that's kind of like the story in a nutshell.
1: Big story, awesome story. Did you know about the gut brain connection back then, or when did you discover the gut? brain connection.
0: Yeah, the gut brain connection really came on the radar within functional medicine. A thing I talk so much about now with my clients because it is so apparent that the stress from the brain can really impact our gut microbiome, which then in turn impacts our health because 80% of your immune system's there. 95% of your serotonin, your feel good brain chemicals are produced there, 30 plus hormones are produced or synthesized in your gut. So so much of your your health lies in your gut, not just being able to digest food or not. So that's why that brain gut connection is so pertinent to our health and, and a huge factor in many different conditions, regardless of the diagnosis or the name of that condition.
1: It's so sad, regardless of the condition, when many individuals are never asked by their specialist what they're eating, right? Many patients come to see me highly medicated and their doctors never once ask them what they're eating to see if how, how poor their nutrition may be and that they're actually consuming inflammatory foods that are working against them, right? Compromising their body's ability to make that happy uh, neurotransmitter serotonin. Now, I, I do see patients with various eating disorders. And when I bring up the concept of food sensitivity testing to them, they, sometimes they shut down a bit because they think, oh, no, now she's going to restrict me even more. And so I don't want to do that test because I, I don't want to be more restricted have you been in those shoes or what's what's your response? How do you coach clients who have that, that response to, to doing food testing?
0: Well, I think food testing is just a reflection of your gut microbiome status, really. It's like what your your gut bacteria can digest and absorb. For the most part, if you have autoimmunity, something like a celiac or gluten cross sensitivity reactions, which still can be very immune in nature, leaky gut in nature, it's still a reflection of what's going on in your gut. But like for a person that is really sensitive to those foods, having them again is probably not going to be helpful to Mm -hmm. them feeling well. But say like apples come up on your food sensitivity test or chicken or something like that. It's typically more representative of your gut bacteria's ability to digest the certain food compounds and proteins. And so like just saying it's exploratory and I actually love to do, I call it a food swap challenge with my clients first before even diving into testing And to just ask them, what are the top five foods you eat every day? And it can be anything. They don't have to be like going to McDonald's every day. It could be like I eat avocados every day, a little bit of dark chocolate and like apples, like I said, etc. And just to list those and then we'll do a food swap challenge where I'm just like, okay, we're gonna swap out the apple for maybe like a pear and a peach this week and then the chocolate. Maybe we'll try some white chocolate instead, just to like vary up their diet and just see if that alone can give them some insight. And maybe sometimes, like when we're eating the same things repetitively, it can be a huge awakening as far as if what we're eating is impacting how we're feeling. And again, from a gut microbiota level, like just maybe we're feeding too much of a certain gut bug with certain foods. And just by like balancing out the biome with variety, a lot of times the body can tolerate things. It's all about the load.
1: Sure. I like that, that you're encouraging food rotation, which is what we should be doing anyways. And I I often tell patients, if apple shows up on your food sensitivity test, it's probably not the main priority that we even need to be avoiding in the first place, right? It's probably just a secondary tertiary reaction, even like sometimes chicken or or almonds or something that somebody's eating commonly, when that shows up on their food testing, yes, we should take it out of the diet short term, but usually that's not the primary problem. Usually we can reintroduce that back in. And I do tell a lot of my patients who are, are struggling with eating disorders that doing food testing can actually be encouraging because it can provide us a whole list of foods they can try eating also, right? So they may be worried that everything's going to show up on the test, but many times it's just a few select food families like gluten or dairy or whatnot that are showing up and that can actually give them a list of foods that they can try introducing.
0: Yeah. I always like to encourage the abundance mindset thinking, what can I have versus yes. what I have? And just the language we use with foods instead of like elimination or can't have it, like I'll oftentimes call those like not right now foods if we're like experimenting with something. Just to like cultivate the way we speak about food or speak about our health really can impact the downloads and how we approach health
1: and our food. You might not know this, but building a healthy gut or gastrointestinal system is one of the most important things you should be working on to maintain your health and longevity. That's why actually in my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, I devote the entire first chapter to the gut. I like to compare the gut or gastrointestinal system to the foundation of your home. You have to have a strong gastrointestinal system upon which to build great health. So with that in mind, I want to share a few tips to help you do just that. The first step with improving your gut health is to clean up your diet, removing inflammatory foods, foods you may have sensitivities towards, and treating gut infections. Like I mentioned, I get into this in a lot more depth than chapter one of my book. Once you've done that, however, there are also some amazing nutrients that exist to help you heal further. Two of my favorite Your Longevity Blueprint combination powder products for helping patients heal their guts are called Gut Shield and GI Support. Gut Shield contains several important ingredients, including glutamine and zinc. Glutamine is the most important non essential amino acid for gut healing, and zinc is a top mineral for gut healing as well. Gut Shield also contains N acetyl D glucosamine and aloe vera. N-acetyl D-glucosamine is a mucin precursor that has been shown to increase the production of mucus within the GI tract. This is beneficial in coating the tract and protecting it. Shield also contains deglycerized licorice root extract, also known as DGL, a form of licorice root that does not contain glycerizin, which can raise blood pressure. Licorice has been known to treat and heal ulcers. It works as a demulsant to soothe the irritated tissue. It's antispasmodic, anti-inflammatory, and anti-allergenic. Aloe vera has been used throughout history to promote a normal inflammatory response. You may have used it on your cuts, scrapes, or burns as a child. Studies have shown that aloe vera is also specifically beneficial to the gastric mucosa in part through its ability to balance stomach acid levels and promote healthy mucus production. All these gut healing nutrients are packed into one little scoop of powder that can be added to a beverage of your choice or mixed into a smoothie. I recommend patients consume this consistently for at least 3 months for gut healing. My second favorite product for gut healing is called GI Support, a gut healing protein powder containing glutamine as well. The difference here is that GI Support is also loaded with natural anti-inflammatories like turmeric. It also contains arabinogalactins, which serve as prebiotic fiber, and it contains green tea extract, also known as EGCG, a potent antioxidant that further helps to reduce inflammation. It's the Cadillac of gut healing powders because it has protein, the amino acid glutamine, Prebiotics, anti-inflammatories, and antioxidants—all in one scoop. And yes, it can be combined with Gut Shield. Consider taking the synergistic blend daily while focusing on cleaner eating. These products aren't needed forever, but they sure help expedite the healing process of your gut lining. Check out more product information on our website and use code Heal Gut for 10% off either product. That's Gut Shield or GI Support at YourLongevityBlueprint.com. Now let's get back to the show. So why is healthy eating killing us?
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. So I think um, I kind of like alluded to this just in my own story. Sometimes we can let being perfect get in the way of good and feeling good. And sometimes there's multiple layers to this answer. I would say first, starting with gut microbiota level, healthy gut microbiota needs variety and abundance of foods and nutrients to, 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 be happy and thriving. And so sometimes in a healthy, in quotes, kind of dietary approach, we end up actually restricting a lot of different foods or food groups or like, yeah, complete food groups and can diminish the biome or cause what we know as insufficiency dysbiosis. So a lack of healthy gut bacteria, all in efforts to be healthy. Um, A lot of times we can run into the I guess, dilemma of being limited to only five to 10 foods by the end of the day, because it's like, all we think we can have, all our body can tolerate, all that we train our body just to eat because we're creatures of habit. And so in turn, that does kill the gut microbiota um, because a healthy thriving gut microbiota needs an abundance. And I think too, just like there's so much dogma, I guess, in our society about like, we all know what foods are not good for us. Like what was that documentary with Katie Couric? Fed Up, I guess, where we talked about like the obesity epidemic is so common. She, I love the line where she's like, little did I know that in the 1980s, I'd be reporting on this epidemic my whole career. And so that has been definitely in the mainstream. We know one in three Americans at least are obese. Um, That number continues to go up. Same thing with kids, one in five. But we don't really talk about like the other side of the coin, which would be... Ultra restriction, or just this disordered eating mentality. You don't have to have an eating disorder to have an unhealthy relationship with food. And so, where we can get into these little dogmas for ourselves, whether it's like, okay, I'm on the keto diet and then carbs, we become super anti carb and feeling like it's an identity loss if we are to even think about eating a sweet potato. Or, same thing with like calling ourselves actually our diet. Your identity is not that you are a vegan, that's not who you are. It's perhaps the diet you adopt, but we adopt this identity. And I think it can embody beyond what we're putting in our mouth, just a a greater mentality component to that and just stress in general around food, like stress kills in general. So stress is the anecdote to good health. And one of my favorite studies out of the University of Texas, it was a pleasure study, like on food pleasure, vitamin P pleasure. And they took a group and gave them two groups, milkshakes. Uh, One of them was told it was a sensible milkshake and that it was like, I guess, low in calories, really good for them. The other group was told to just like plain out, like just enjoy it. They were both the same milkshake. Like they were a real milkshake. The sensible group, though, had so much more stress still about that milkshake. Whereas the group that just was told to just enjoy their milkshake actually had more satisfaction from the meal. And I think on the metric markers, like at the end of the study, actually even experienced some weight loss as opposed to the other group. Stress around food can impact like actually the digestion of the food Mm -hmm. and just like our mentality
1: with it. When I think stress also, I think of the adrenals, of course, and many times the adrenals require a nutrient called salt. And I think sometimes the danger as far as why healthy eating can be killing us is that we're then robbing our body of sodium. I had a patient today who had literally came in with low sodium and I'd been there myself. I had a really low blood pressure and you know, I needed to actually add high quality Himalayan or Celtic sea salt to my diet. So sometimes ah. I think we eat so healthy, we're restricting what we really need. We, our body, our, our adrenals need salt, especially to handle the stressors that do come along in nice. life. So I think that's another way that healthy eating can be killing us because we're, we're not consuming some of those even minerals that we need.
0: And I think too, just becoming disconnected with how we feel, we turn into like, just give me the food list and like, what should I eat? As opposed Mm -hmm. to like being able to understand and relay the signals your body's actually signaling to you. And one client comes to mind, the highest cholesterol I've ever seen in the 600s. And that after being on a diet that was just not fit for her, but she was told that was like, I mean, it's super fat, like right now, which is carnivore, it was just not a good fit for her. And I mean, she kind of was feeling better on it. But what we discovered is she just had a lot of dysbiosis. And so that's why like when we actually cleaned up the gut and helped her with being able to absorb and digest like all foods, again, some carbs um, that were maybe not making her gut feel super well, it's just like she came into balance and her body was definitely speaking, but she was just not really able to like listen because she was just very fixated on following a rule book.
1: Yeah, I think all these diets that whatever we want to call them, I don't even want to call it a lifestyle because sometimes it is really just a diet fad that someone's participating in to try to help themselves. Also, right, they're doing it for the right reason. They're they're trying to help themselves. I wonder what will show long term research wise, right, with someone who is on a carnivore diet. Like some people probably respond well to that because they are avoiding the other inflammatory foods, but because they are resting their gut in a way, right. But you're, I think you alluded to a big fact: the microbiome is just messed up or jacked up. So, patients do well short-term on those diets, but I think long-term when we see the research of some of these experimental diet ads, crazes, whatever, I think we'll see that they're not a good fit long-term because then the patients are left nutritionally starved, of course. What is intuitive and mindful eating? So how do we do that? I know it's easier said than done. So how do you advise your clients on that?
0: Yeah, I think both of these, they're terms that get used interchangeably and they're actually different. So intuitive eating being like really what you're born knowing how to eat. Like as a baby, you knew when you're hungry, you cried and you knew when you were full, like you turned your head away, you were done like with milk. And when you were satisfied and so, and the mindful eating is really eating with intention and awareness to how we're nourishing ourselves, both in the act of eating, as well as being mindful of like how we're nourishing ourselves throughout the day. For example, in my recovery from my eating disorder, I didn't always feel hungry because I was very used to not eating in my eating disorder. And so I had to use mindful eating to begin to retrain my body for being able to properly nourish myself. And I think, again, you don't have to have gone through an eating disorder to practice mindful eating. It can be as simple as like eating undistracted, eating, not looking at screens or scrolling through your phone. I mean, even just like slowing down, not eating on the go, chewing your food and Mm -hmm. just being mindful of like the taste, the smells. And like the the nourishment of food and that that ritual can provide, and I mean, in doing so, we also like just really optimize like your biome, sky, your digestion skyrockets through the practice of mind bleeding because you're getting in a more parasympathetic state. And intuitive eating, again, like not to be discounted, that's something we can definitely attain. I think it's something that a lot of individuals struggle to really understand what their body's saying because there's so many confusing signals from our whether we've been dieting or eating based on a rule book or like the opposite of just eating whatever, where we've trained a gut microbiome to crave foods that we're actually like either intolerant to, or that whether there's pathogenic or dysbiotic bacteria can feast upon telling you to be intuitive (laughs) or that um, daily eating the Ben and Jerry's or whatever it is. I think if you're being intuitive, like a really good marker of that is like balance and like your body just speaking, like in variety, for one, because that's what a, a healthy, balanced body desires, as well as just like one day eating the steak, one day eating the salad. Like your body does have that yin and yang, where when we are in full balance, is going to ask for those things. I think it's too like people have probably experienced that intuitive eating, say when you're sick, for example, like and you're really not craving to eat a lot of food, like maybe you're craving more broths like that. You are listening to your body because that's what your body is like wanting to digest or even like seasonal, we can become intuitive. Like in the winter months, perhaps you want more stews and soups as opposed to the summer months where you're wanting like a lot of the fresh produce that is like growing actually in the wild, your body is still fighting to be intuitive despite like having food access to both soups and fresh produce at all times of year.
1: I keep speaking to these signals. So I want to talk about, I can never pronounce them, but ghrelin and leptin resistance and kind of talk about those two signals.
0: Yeah. Pretty new and evolving. I think in research, like I think it's only been maybe 20, 30 years that we've known about these hormones, ghrelin being your hunger hormone. So if you have ghrelin resistance, you really like can continue to be hungry. (laughs) And then with leptin, that being your fullness hormone. And so I think both of those can get just really hijacked and we can get really confused on our signals like hunger and fullness based a lot upon our gut microbiome and what like research shows is a healthier balanced gut microbiome will balance out these two. So yeah, I think just like the hunger fullness signals in general, a lot of us are super disconnected with just based upon our history with dieting or how we grew up, even like being example, like rewarded with food, like if you made an A on your report card or something like that. but a key way of circumventing that resistance is again focusing on a healthy microbiome and doing so with either like your practitioner that you're working with, or just like really optimizing digestion from digestive enzymes, stomach acid, chewing your food, some of the mindful eating practices we're sure. talking about
1: So mold is. Very common, unfortunately, and that's something that you have been exposed to and suffered with. So do you want to share, you already shared a little bit of some of the symptoms that you had, the pseudo asthma attack in in the middle of the night. What other symptoms did you have and how did you go about finding out that mold was the culprit?
0: So great question. Symptoms, I guess it was like a slow build. Like you don't really, I didn't know I was living in mold. And a lot of people, I would say one in two buildings, they say are water damaged buildings. So a lot of your listeners could be living in it as well. It really just depends on like your threshold, your detox pathways. But I think everyone will be impacted by mold to some degree. We just don't really always realize it. So sinus congestion, allergies, even seasonal allergies, increased food sensitivities, gut Mm -hmm. problems that don't seem to go away, headaches, brain fog, fatigue. Like a lot of these symptoms can be like lumped into so many different things. I mean, like hormone imbalances. Hormones are a huge part of mold though too, can be influenced by these mold spores and mold uh, fungi building up in the body is really what's happening. And it's just all about like toxic load. So daily, like we're being inundated by toxins in general in our environment. So if you're living in it, And it just continues to accumulate or go unaddressed. It's just more load to the body. And so I was living in a pretty new build. It was less than 10 years old at the time, just renting. And the mold was actually in the HVAC system, like completely blacked out. Uh, It's not something that I as a tenant really ever checked until Mm -hmm. I had a test done there. And then we had had a leak on our sidewall from Hurricane Harvey. I live in Austin, but we had gotten a ton of flooding rain from that. And again, as a tenant, I didn't really know how to maintain a home, but I think through proper home maintenance, what you would do if you typically had a leak is you want to fix it in the first 24 hours, if you recognize it. And a lot of times leaks can just go unaddressed or unseen, um, whether it's under the sink or um, in the walls or even in a new construction build. So I recently was about to go under contract for a home here in Austin and came back with toxic black mold. And so what happens oftentimes in these new builds is like the wood gets wet during building and construction, and they just continue to build with it. That is very common. But kind of like with those symptoms, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was that asthma attack. And ironically, about three weeks prior to that, I had gotten a gut infection, just some food poisoning, I think. So just going to show like how much your gut microbiota can impact like your body's ability to detox. So like your health and immune system. So it's like my immune system had already gotten this big shakeup. We had turned on the um, air condition for the spring. And that was the night that I got the attack. And yeah, I've just learned so much about mold since then and i um, ready to be rid of mold. But I think mm-hmm. it's like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And just I'm a big, big proponent of how much our environment and our lifestyle outside of just like what we eat or supplements you even take, how that can impact your health. You can be doing all the right things in quotes. And like, if you're still hitting those ceilings in your health to not discount, like what are the environmental exposures you're coming into contact with, whether it's mold or whether it's like you work in a salon and you're just exposed to chemicals Mm -hmm. all the time, et cetera. Like even the chemical sensitivities, like I've developed from the mold illness where like VOCs in a home off-gassing from new materials, I'm very sensitive to that right now. And so it's just like meeting your body where it's at and just really leaning into a non-toxic lifestyle as much as possible, both in the foods you eat as well as the environmental
1: exposures and water you drink and products you use. I like that you shared, you are actually about to move into a new build because so many of my patients tell me why I'm in a new build so I can't have mold. Yeah, you can. Unfortunately, yes, yes you can. And I hate telling them that, especially if they have signed the contract, right? And they they did buy the new home, whatnot. But I do find that with those, those symptoms of fatigue or brain fog, whatnot, if we've already at least eliminated the main food sensitivities, we've optimized their hormones, the patient's not getting better, then I tend to think there's something else, right? There's something else going on with this patient. And many times it is mold. And so I run some testing on them. There are some blood tests and there's urine testing and you probably had them all done on yourself to see what, what is in the body. And if we find that I think mold is a problem, then I tell them, you got to test your home. We got to figure out if where you're sleeping at night, where you're spending a lot of your time is contributing to why you feel so ill. And I'm just finding that in the past few years, patient after patient after patient does have mold illness having mold illness can exacerbate or can lead to mast cell activation syndrome, which it sounds like you've had as well. So can you tell us a little bit about that and some symptoms you've had from having mast cell activation syndrome?
0: Yeah, definitely. And it, before I get there, just calling like Joe on the street, mold <laughs> first on Google search for your hometown is typically not the best way to do a full mold assessment because most are going to do air sampling, which is not going to look at a mycotoxin level, which is the reason why mold is toxic to the body is the spores, which are very, they're heavy. So they fall, they don't always get caught up and trapped in the air. So taking a dust sampling, mycotoxin test, I think is a great way to start and something Mm -hmm. you can DIY. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a couple companies, one global analytics is my top choice. Eric Althaus is amazing and it can coach you through That as well as real-time lab, which is a commercial-based test. Mm -hmm. But doing that type of testing just to kind of like close the mold gap there. And then um, on mast cell activation syndrome, I mean, some people call this like SERS, chronic like inflammatory response syndrome, whatever you call it, it is really just where the body that at an immune level, your Th1, Th2 systems, which are your immune balancing baseline systems are just completely, they're out of balance and go haywire the way that it presents for the individual experiencing it is like a roller coaster in your body because you become very sensitive to sometimes the things that like you even could have tolerated maybe like a week earlier where I would be eating, say like, (laughs) I remember a day I was eating butternut squash and my blood sugar went from 80 to 160 back to 80 within a 30 minute time span. And like, that's just a really Large jump, it's like on ramp and then a dip and hypoglycemia. That was one way, like it played out. The next week, I took a supplement to help with my adrenal glands. I had taken prior, just like ashwagandha, and my body completely, my brain freaked out. Where I got chronic migraines is like I was having reactions to foods and supplements, in my environment exposures as well. Just that chemical sensitivity, where I'd go into, like say, a new build construction home to just look at it to maybe buy and I couldn't even like tolerate and stand Getting a pedicure that I had been to typically and just like had to leave because my body just starts freaking out or like my airways start closing. A lot of times mast cell activation syndrome will present as a histamine response in that initial exposure. So whether it's like your throat closing, your chest tightening,
1: the brain fog happening, breaking out or skin rashes happening. All the sensitivities you had were huge clues into will both mold and a mast cell activation syndrome for sure. So how are you healing? So you've been through so much. What are some staples? What are some things, uh, some lifestyle practices you have every single day that have made a significant difference in your recovery?
0: Yeah, ironically, I would say the top ones have nothing to do with food or supplements. And so number one would be just like really grounding myself in how I start my day and not starting my day off like in the fire of like email checking, social media, or news, prior to all of like my mast cell activation syndrome, like as an entrepreneur, I was very much like just working, I felt like 12 hours a day mm-hmm. sometimes, and working with my patients, et cetera, um, where I was just really neglecting my own self care. And so the first two hours of my morning are really devoted to a morning routine that is just all about like, taking a breath in for the day and just really getting grounded from um, what I'm reading, like reading scripture, prayer, movement, and then nourishment, nourishing my body before I even check an email. And so yoga has been super awesome for my type A CrossFit mentality, which um, I find is really common with a lot of the clients I work with in that brain gut connection space is like sometimes we're the hardest on ourselves or like really type A high achievers, which has been, I say I'm a recovered type A, now becoming a type B, but yoga has been super awesome. And (laughs) I even do power yoga, which is like still not like the Yin yoga, but like for me, it was just like really taking a break from the go, go, go. And like even overtraining I had been doing prior to a stressed out state as well from my eating disorder days. And then detox, like really emphasizing some like active detox, not just drinking green juice. Although I do love like celery juice and green juice, but infrared sauna has been super awesome from the mold perspective and something that I end most days with in my recovery from mold. Some IV nutrient therapy as well with um, high dose glutathione and some vitamin C and phosphatidylcholine, so IV infusions. And then just like really leaning into that, like very diet and gut microbiome, believe it or not. And something that I don't think is discussed enough within the mold world, just because there's such an emphasis on like taking a lot of binders, kind of even like in a dysbiotic world, like killing the pathogens, as opposed to like, how can you like love your gut bug army? Because that army is what's gonna fight for you. And so literally loving my gut and doing so with probiotics, short chain fatty acids and um, like reintroducing fermented foods now that my body is not so histamine sensitive. There was a time where I was sensitive to histamine
1: foods and I've recovered that ability. That's encouraging to hear. That's wonderful. So what's your absolute top longevity tip? Just spark joy. Like life
0: is not meant to be so hard. And I think just finding joy, whether it's like the morning cup of coffee that you have or connection with an individual, like typically when at the end of the day, when I think about what was joyful that day is nothing to do with my, what I achieved or like work. It's typically like an interaction I had with a person or an escape I had, like such as a yoga class or a time outside, et cetera. And so I think the more we can lean into those spark joys, that the more just like freedom that
1: does come with that. Love that. Love that. Do you have any special gift or promotion for the listeners? A hundred
0: percent. So I love my three-day gut reset cleanse, which is on my website, drlauren.com, D-R-L-A-U-R-Y-N.com. And that word cleanse really being more about refreshment for your body, not about restriction. And so I think if your listeners download that, they'll be surprised to see that um, they won't be starving.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your incredible story with our listeners and just being a true beacon of hope to those who have struggled with similar challenges. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Dr. Stephanie. I love how passionate she is about our microbiome health. She loves her gut bug army and we should too. She gave us a good reminder to eat a variety of foods and to rotate on a daily basis. So when eating tonight... I think I speak for us both in saying that we encourage you to truly be mindful, eat without your cell phone in hand, chew your food, eat slowly, and think about what has brought you joy through the day. To learn more about mast cell activation syndrome, listen to my previous interview with Beth O'Hara. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online, where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, not only is the course 50% off, but you also get your first consult with me for free. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.